0: Welcome to Navigating Your Financial Journey with Kelly and Matt from Palomar Wealth. In this podcast, we help individuals and families who are ready to create stability for now, security for the future, and flexibility for those moments that change life's trajectory. Please join us as we plot the course towards financial success. Welcome back to Navigating Your Financial
1: Journey with Kelly Holloway. And Matt Rupert. We're glad you can join us today. This is another part of our financial house uh, education savings, and so this may be a consideration for not every client, um, depending on whether or not you have children or grandchildren in your life, but just an important thing to consider. And so we're going to talk through uh, the different components of. Uh, saving for college education and establish, establishing goals and different financial aid routes and loans and how they're structured, just to give you a better base understanding of those things. Definitely going to lean here on Matt heavily because he's earning his, um, remind me of the, the CSLP
2: level. certified student loan professional.
1: Yes, yeah, so he has a lot of expertise in this area as he continues on that on that path. I, mean, I think you found an interesting piece of research that you yes. a little stat to share here.
2: Yeah, I kind of wanting to use this as a call to action uh, whether it's for you or a family member or someone you know who's navigating the education system and, and how to finance that. So this comes from a Pew research survey and it has said that about a third of student loan holders think the lifetime financial costs of their bachelor's degree outweigh the benefits. And when I first saw that, I mean, it really kind of stood out to me to think that a third of people have deemed it essentially wasn't worth it, that the cost now of dealing with that debt is not worth it. Uh, and so as kind of a call to action, wanted to talk about, well, what are the costs, you know, the any reviews reviews averages, but what are the costs of, you know, a average education? what what kind of financial burden is that going to put on an individual or a family?
1: And maybe a little bit, too, about the benefits of uh, a college education, but also some other pathways that are available that maybe aren't as highlighted um, out in our culture this anymore, we'll put yep. it that way. Yep. Um, what are we valuing as a, as a society? And this one's close to my heart because my oldest child is a senior in high school, and so we are going through this experience right now of... of shopping and better understanding college and college education costs. And so I'm definitely personally invested in this topic myself. Matt, tell us a little bit about how the costs have changed over the years. Inflation for education isn't quite the same as regular right. inflation.
2: Yeah. Traditionally, college costs or just higher education inflation has outpaced normal inflation rates. Uh, the The CPI which you know tracks inflation numbers began tracking education costs all the way back in 1977. Uh, the average for college inflation has been six over six percent when you look at compared to general inflation uh, has a long-term average about three and a quarter percent. When we get into the actual costs of you know attendance today, uh, and this would be you know factoring in both tuition fees and a room and board,
0: mm-hmm. keep in
2: mind that in-state, out-of-state, private, public, there are some differences in costs. Uh, we have some of those figures here. So like an in-state, a two-year versus a four-year, you're, you're looking at an average of a little over 13000 for a two-year in-state tuition, uh, and that goes up to 22690 for a four-year in-state.
1: I just want to pause right there. How much of that do you feel is what you would expect it to be i guess the best way to look at that is like does that seem like a right number to you i mean what's your impression of hearing that like a four-year degree now with room and board is twenty-two thousand
2: six hundred ninety dollars. i mean it's 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 hard to answer i guess you know i think uh knowing that room and board is part of that i think helps shape my kind uh, of perspective if i think that's reflective of what you know actual cost. Because that you know, that's really a tangible item of that total cost that you can say, well, I mean, there's obviously cost to, you know, maintaining a facility where you live and, and things like that. The tuition, really that, that has some objectivity to it because you're thinking about, okay, the quality of the teaching that you're receiving. Yes, there's obviously upkeep of the, the school itself, but degree program you're in, what's the value that from that education?
1: i appreciate that i was just curious in in my mind i think i'm stuck in like the year 2000 about what should college cost Mm -hmm. because that's when i went to college in 1999 to 2000 and i was thinking that just seems so high but perspective wise you know that is a good thing to to keep in mind this does include room and board and think of those costs and how those have changed over the last 20 some years
2: yeah Uh, it steps up quite a bit uh, once you go to four-year out of state that's Getting close to forty thousand. It's thirty-nine thousand five hundred and ten dollars. And then, if you're looking at private versus public, a private four-year average is at fifty-one thousand six hundred ninety. And obviously, the asterisk here is this is very dependent on the actual school you attend. Right. There's obviously community college programs that hopefully and typically will run on the low side. But there's definitely private institutions. You so think about the well-known one, well-known ones. For instance, here in the Midwest, Notre Dame is a pretty pricey uh, school, but there's also the Ivy League schools that are quite pricey as well. Yeah,
1: and we'll get to scholarships and, and so on, but I think it's important to keep in mind that like the sticker price isn't necessarily always the price that students end up paying because they do have often scholarship opportunities or grants or different ways to make their school attractive mm-hmm. to, to help students uh, financially afford the different schools so i think that's something to keep in mind as well like there is sticker shock but also keep in mind that that might not be your end price it's good to keep an open mind
2: and so kind of closing the, the thought there on this being kind of call to action is, you know, we've listed those numbers. We've listed how those numbers have inflated over time and, and expectations that they will continue to, to inflate. This is a significant financial decision in a family's life, in a person's life, and we encourage you to plan accordingly and, and make sure that you're well prepared to to take on that if that ends up being the right, right decision for, for your education. So I want to circle back to something, Kelly, you said, you know, talk about our society's view of education and specifically post-high school education.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think there is more emphasis, um, probably, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, starting at that time frame of, you know, do better for the next generation and really encouraging college education as the pathway. And not to say that that's not a pathway, but there are alternatives. And I think maybe in the last five years, I've heard more rumblings of, um, this emphasis on, you know, trade schools are actually okay. very good paying careers once you get to the point of uh, being self-sufficient, you know, thinking about things like if you're an electrician and just imagine if you've had a repair in your own, you know, what that costs They do make a high enough salary to make a, you know, quote unquote, you know, good career yeah. out of even something when you're working with your hands. And I think there was maybe just a little bit of societal looking down on that for for a time, but I, I'm feeling encouraged that I think that's coming back up because we do need all all types of people in all types of roles because as a society, we definitely need people who know how to work with their hands. If we're all at a desk job, you know, what happens when something breaks? Yeah. <laughs> we're in trouble.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I, again, similar to Kelly, child of the 80s and 90s, and I still hear this term some now where you hear about someone say, like, they're the first person in their family to, to go to college. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, great, happy for them. But again, back to that point of, is that the right path? Because there are a lot of opportunities in the technical fields uh, that people can go into. A lot of programs out there. Uh, just, just keep everything in perspective. So leading up to you know attendance, uh, if you're trying to if you're a parent and you're looking at a kind of support system for these college costs, I encourage you to and I mean I've done this now when my kids are literally toddlers and newborns is what is your plan for how much support you are going to provide and when I say support like think about like a percentage like mm-hmm. okay I know averages of what costs are now obviously they'll be higher you know, in future dollar sense, but am I planning to cover 100% of it or, or what is that percent? Establish a kind of goal that you have in mind of I'm i willing and I'm going to plan for this level of support. Because once you have that, there are some nice college estimators out there where you can kind of plug in, okay, here's what I have saved now or here's what I plan to save. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that going kind to, of, you know, Get me on target for you know 15 18 years down the road when, when your kids are going to be
1: starting yeah what's the expectation for that amount of principal right now to grow and of course there's some assumptions there of yeah. you know how much will college costs grow and how much uh, risk you're willing to take in average investment returns but it does give you a starting point because i think some of this is just it's so nebulous it's like well especially when you have a toddler and a newborn so far away it seems yeah. so far yeah. away and coming from my perspective with the senior in high school, it's a blink of an eye, and I know everyone says that, don't blink, it's happening so fast, but it's so true, and and there is so much to consider, so I think um, to the point of, you know, what am I willing to percent or commit in terms of a percentage, but then I think there's also, what am I able? I think there's right. a, a, a pressure on parents nowadays to fully fund their children's college education, which is an amiable goal. I think that's fantastic if they can and they, they want to, but sometimes even at the expense of their own right. either retirement or other financial goals. And so I think it's really about keeping in mind how we can, can have the conversation of what's the right fit for your family and what is the right approach based on your philosophy and also your needs and, and capabilities of what you can afford. Because I speaking from our experience with my husband being a non-traditional student and attending school after his military service. And we weren't in a position even though we had kids to start saving for their education because we were still paying for his. Mm. And so it's just only become a recent conversation and and looking at other pathways. So kind of look at it as a, what would I like to do as an ideal and what am I able to do?
2: Moving on now to the financial aid element of, you know, education and saving for that, like Kelly said, you know, we listed the average cost, but that might not necessarily be what you ultimately pay at the bottom line, because there are several different avenues that you can go down for how you, you support you know, your education costs. Uh, you know, obviously one, obviously one is scholarships. Uh, I have told this to many clients when I've done education planning as part of you know, comprehensive planning is treat scholarship hunting like it's a full-time job. There are huge databases of scholarships out there that you can search, you can filter them by the qualification rules. And yes, you might see some on there that are just a few hundred dollars, but even many, many small ones will add up to a substantial amount. And um, again, back to that survey where there's 30 people say it's not worth it. Well, if you can help offset some of your costs, maybe that changes you know, your view on the, the worth of that, that degree.
1: I think it, it's probably worth us taking a moment and putting some of those resources, the links down in our show notes. So um, reminder to self and put those in the show yeah. notes because those are great free resources. Yeah, we,
2: we can put some direct links, but just verbally, some of those to look at are, you know, the financial aid offices at schools that you're considering. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor has a free, scholarship search tool, look at any foundations, religious or community organizations, uh, local businesses. Sometimes I I know I had one, a bank in high school that I got a small scholarship for for school. Um, So there's a lot of resources out there.
1: Absolutely. And inside a school as well, I think it's important to consider people, I think put a lot of emphasis on, you know, earning a full ride. You might not get the full ride, but getting a, a portion of something covered. I'm excited that my oldest is a very academically-minded person, and so having um, spent a lot of time over the whole course of her schooling, she's put a lot of time and effort into that, and that has come back as she's applying. She hasn't made a final decision, but there's been a lot of academic scholarships, awarded merit scholarships, and potential for, for higher scholarships that you're eligible for once you're at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So. It's something to keep in mind that it's not just sports. I think that's, people yeah. tend to fall back on, oh, I'll get a full ride if, I, if I, you know, I'm the best at this sport. And there's a lot of emphasis on travel sports nowadays kind of help gear them up towards that. Nothing wrong with that if that's what your family and children are interested in, but to maybe check into the research a little bit on percentage of uh, athletes in college getting a full ride. That's something that I'll just let you do your own research on.
2: Some other resources, uh, grants, that uh, you could receive Um, obviously there's going to be eligibility requirements with those grants typically if you go through the school get the degree and you maintain your eligibility those are dollars that you don't have to pay back that's actually kind of gifted money to you as well Uh, but then again the key is make sure that you're maintaining that eligibility or then you're going to be in a position where you have to pay that back and it's essentially a loan. Uh, yeah. And it's going to cost you more. Uh, then that leads into loans. Segway. Exactly. Yeah, Segway. <laughs> and, and Kelly asked that I definitely cover this, and, and it is a big topic in the, the certification that I've been going through. Uh, so breaking this down, um, you've got uh, a number of different types of higher education loans that you can you can get. And so these are some terms that you'll probably hear or know about already. Uh, you have. Direct subsidized or unsubsidized loans. That distinction between being subsidized or unsubsidized. One is the how the interest accrual works. So when you have a subsidized loan, your interest is not accruing while you're in attendance at school. So you know you take out a loan freshman year, it has an interest rate tied to it, but if it's subsidized, you're not actually getting that interest accrued on top of your your balance. Vice versa, unsubsidized, that interest is growing even while you're attending. Uh, And then subsidized loans have a financial need-based element to them too. So there's going to be elements and everyone, or I won't say everyone, but a lot of people know about the FAFSA. Yeah, I was hoping you bring that up. Not the most fun (laughs) uh, form to do each year, but uh, some of those need-based things are based off of the information that you put into that. So if you're a student with parents, you have to have both your you know, the student's information and the parent's information goes into that calculation. Um, high level, you have to pretty, be pretty low on the income scale, not a lot of assets to really receive any like direct grant, free money. Mm-hmm. Most people can qualify for the minimum, you know, the unsubsidized loans, but it is, it is pretty neat space to get true, kind of gifted uh, assets. You have Parent PLUS loans, those are for graduate students or a loan that's made to the parent of an undergrad. So you have a parent that's actually kind of a co-signer and also then would be liable yeah, for that. Yeah, that's a very important yeah. point. Being liable for that loan, so if the student finishes and is not paying it back or if they don't, Degree and are still a loan outstanding, uh, you know, the parent could be oh, okay. a lot of times. Uh, once you're through school and you have different loans each, you know, semester each year, uh, some people look at doing consolidations that's where you combine your eligible student loans down into one, it creates a fixed interest rate, it, it kind of averages across what your loan rates were over those different uh, time periods.
1: I will say, I just from more of a hearsay situation, I feel consolidation should be very seriously investigated and and considered before it's uh, undertaken because I think I've heard several people say, you know, I'm no longer eligible for certain benefits if I've refinanced that in a consolidated loan. So I don't know if there's something specific to look out for, Matt, that you would say in that scenario.
2: Well, there's different rules on what you have, what your loan statuses have to be to even be eligible to consolidate. You, know, you have to be trued up. Essentially, you have to be current with your loans. So if you are in a delinquency status, you know you have to remedy that before you can even do that. You know, in the consolidation process, like you said, yeah, you kind of want to make sure what that is going to trigger. Mm-hmm. Is that going to have some un, unintended consequences? Uh, the consolidation, there are different standards up to. There's the standard, which is like a 10-year, but there's a graduated and an extended. There's a lot. So I do encourage you to educate yourself and even potentially reach out to someone who has more experience in that field, especially when it comes to this next category of income-driven repayment plans. Think about you know this year, 2022, the Biden administration had <laughs> implemented a... Partial loan forgiveness, that's now been postponed and challenged in the court systems. Mm -hmm. There are some actual loan forgiveness programs through these income-driven repayment plans. There's a lot of different acronyms, ICR, IBR, pay-as-you-go, or pay-as-you-earn, sorry, P-A-Y-E, and revised pay-as-you-earn. And they all have different qualifications that you have to meet, but there's really some strategic decisions you have to make with some of those because there's some where you could actually file as married separately mm-hmm. uh, because of how they count your income towards how they calculate what your income based payment would be so there's a lot um, and I mean even as I started taking this coursework it's like wow this is a very nuanced uh, topic and uh, it can be very beneficial uh, but you have to make sure that it's, it's truly uh, the right the right fit and, and this is not just uh, one and done you know this is you know this is going to be going from 10 all the way up to, you know, 25, 30 years, potentially that you're structuring these loans. It's like a mortgage.
1: Yeah. (sighs) It's a sigh there for me. (laughs) Um, So the last thing we wanted to cover, if you're at an earlier stage, is thinking about different savings vehicles. And so saving for college is a goal many people have, or to help uh, grandchildren or nieces and nephews, you know, people you care for. There was a a story of, uh, I think, someone in the area who had open 529 plans for neighborhood kids mm. that she liked, and kids in the church that she liked, and you shouldn't say just liked, but you know, that she wanted to support those families. Mm. And so a lot of people I think could be interested in hearing more about this. Wanting to hear about, I think most 529s, I think that's probably the hottest one out there right now. It has the most attention, and since we are in Illinois as well, there's some additional benefits to a 529 contributions. So oh. Matt, share a little bit about five two nine.
2: Yeah, 529, they're kind of like the pre Option for for savings people, there are others that we'll talk about, but five two nine kind of takes the cake. Uh, they're very flexible in terms of there are no like income phase out rules. You, you know, you, you can be a high earner and still are allowed to contribute. The, the the limit for what you can contribute on an ongoing basis is very high. I mean, it's it's so high that I just tell people it's like I don't know where you could send your kid <laughs> to spend that much <laughs> money. Uh, but you know, the limits are very nice. Um, The flexibility of being able to switch among siblings. So if you've got multiple kids, like Kelly's got four Mm -hmm. children, you know what if, you know again, if you're doing this planning when they're young, you might have that question of like, well, what if they don't go? Yeah, Uh, yeah.
1: You categorize that money for college, and if they
2: don't use it, yeah. Five two lines are nice in that you can actually transfer that to a sibling, and there's no tax consequences for doing that transfer. Uh, and, And the nice. You know, tax part of this is uh, you, you do use after-tax dollars to fund it, but then you have the ability to invest those dollars when it's in the 529 programs. Those uh, dollars grow tax-deferred, and then if you take the money out for qualified education expenses, uh, it is then not taxed, that money that you take out. If at, after the end of the line, uh, no one uses it, you know, the kids are done, or you have, have money left, you can still get it out um, if you don't use it for qualified education expenses. The gain is included as taxable income, and there is a ten percent penalty uh, on the uh, that gain as well. So I have seen people though that turn it into a legacy fund, and so if their kids didn't use it all up. They just hold on to it, and then they'll wait for the grandkids wait for a grand to yeah. be the beneficiary. Yeah. And in Illinois, um, I
1: think it's uh, up to twenty thousand for married that couple deductible yeah. um, if you made a contribution to 529 plan for anyone um, and you're married filing jointly you can take up to a $20,000 mm-hmm. deduction on your state income taxes so there's some other benefits there and um, one of the things that I think really caught my eye is that 529's qualified education expenses include room and board and mm-hmm. certain other things like certain scholarships and whatnot don't cover that. And so it's, yeah. it's a very all encompassing, you know, you might have a computer expense for mm-hmm. education or, you know, the, the books. I mean, certain things that aren't covered in other places, it's more comprehensive. And so it's a nice um, overall vehicle.
2: Right. And then back to the point about not everyone chooses the path of a traditional two or four year school. two nines, if it's a technical school or a trade uh, certification, as long as it's an accredited institution and their are qualified expenses, you can use it for those as well. So very, very flexible.
1: And isn't it true also that at least in Illinois, I mean, this isn't everywhere, but you can use five nines now for um,
2: oh, K like twelve. Yes, K twelve. Yeah. Uh, they did pass a federal legislation that expanded that. The caveat there, at least since we're talking about Illinois, is and it's I'm assuming some other states did not. Uh, kind of sign on to that as well, so you you can still use it, and from a federal standpoint, you'd still get those tax benefits. But in Illinois, that would actually be an add back to income. So if you had good point, you know, say five years ago, you'd contributed, and then you actually started pulling funds for K through twelve. You're still good on the federal side, but Illinois would then make you add that back. So they they would have given you a deduction when you contributed but then since you took it off for K through 12, they make you add a back to income. Boo.
1: Yeah, <laughs> not the greatest news, but I, I did want to call attention to that. Yeah. Because I think that's kind of a, a newer feature yeah. for some people who might use that. Uh, another option is a Coverdell uh, educational savings account. This one's got um, many more rules and yes. limitations.
2: Yes. The Coverdells been around for quite a long time but in comparison, not as flexible. Uh, They have a $2,000 annual limit, and that is per the beneficiary. So it's not 2,000 that just any person can give, it's that's that's the limit on how much a beneficiary of that education account can receive. Um, So when you think about back to our average costs, (laughs) uh, unless you literally started this the moment they were born, very diligent about this. Um, it might not but be able to accumulate things. enough yeah. of, of what you need to get on it, it. still has some of those tax benefits, um, so I don't want to discount it completely, but it does have income limitations and, and limits and, and that such.
1: And then our favorite topic yeah. of the 2022 year, I-bonds. I-bonds.
2: <laughs> they, they've <laughs> been popular not for this reason, not because they're an education bond, but uh, because of the unique interest rate structure that they have. But uh, I-bonds, maybe we'll have a later episode that, that just talks about them, but... Uh, it probably
1: deserves its own episode.
2: I-bonds are a education bond. If you take the, uh, if you catch that in and receive the interest on it, if you use that for qualified education expenses, then you can actually um, exclude that from, from your taxable income. So that's the kind of savings benefit from using an I-Bond for, for education expenses. I don't think a lot of people are using it for that right now. It's been no. very popular just because of the you know, the inflation rate this year versus yeah. what, what it's paying out.
1: And, and we will probably spend more time in a future episode on that. But they, it, they're interesting because they have two interest rates. And the floating interest rate is the one that's tied to inflation. And so only when our inflation is high do we see higher numbers there. Definitely worth a look. And then the last one that is really, I think, kind of under a rock that people don't think about often is a Roth IRA option, which does have some drawbacks. So tell us about that. Yeah,
2: So, I mean, just a Roth IRA in general, right? You're using after-tax dollars to fund that. And then if you meet the qualifications, taking it out later in retirement those dollars and the growth come out tax-free. So you think, okay, well, how do I use that for education because I'm not going to potentially be at the the required retirement age? Well, the other component of Roths is at any time, you can actually come back in and pull out your basis, so your original contribution. Uh, If you leave any gain that's accumulated alone, then you're not getting hit with those tax consequences and penalty. So there are people that will use a Roth, as the savings tool, uh, and then when it comes time to pay for education, they only are tapping the basis, so it's a first in, first out type mechanism, uh, and then they use those dollars. So, there's there's still going to be the potential gain that's left in there that will still be there for future retirement purposes, um, but the other part of the, the Roth vehicle was used for education. I'll let Kelly give her opinion, too. I, I do find that the drawback here is that in my view, the Roth is a retirement vehicle, mm-hmm. and I would rather use it for its pure intended purpose. Uh, you know, the, the, the benefit you're getting on the Roth, especially if you, get, you hold it for a long time, is if you get that compounding long term growth, you know, that's, that's a huge benefit in retirement period to be able to take those dollars tax free. Well, if you're coming in and, and rating that account, that you yeah. could be
1: damaging that long-term potential. Rating are at R-A-I-D, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> Not rating with a T. Um, so yeah, making sure that if you do consider that strategy that you look, maybe take a calculation and say, what if I kept that in here in future dollars? And yes, of course, there's some assumptions there on rates of return and inflation and whatnot, but you know, really see like, what does that become in the future that I took out um, to, to pay for this current need of education. So it's an option, but there's probably more advantageous options available. I shouldn't say probably. I'm going to be confident here and say <laughs> there are more advantageous vehicles. So definitely look into those and I think have said it several times, but find, find that expert, find that um, that specialist that can help you uh, really explore these topics. There are a lot of resources out there that are free. We'll put those um, scholarship links in our show notes. What do you want to leave us here with, Matt?
2: Merry Christmas.
1: (laughs) It is almost Christmas.
2: Uh, Yeah. So just leave it with education is different for every person. And where they're going to get that education is going to be different as well. As always, this is a part of navigating your financial journey. It's an important step make sure you're educated um, and and have a good plan
0: in place. I'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for joining Kelly and Matt to learn about navigating your financial journey. Your time, ears, and brain space are appreciated. Subscribe below to be notified as new episodes are published. Visit www.palomarwealth.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and the opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Palomar Wealth. Palomar Wealth does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Palomar Wealth is part of the Thriven Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be suitable for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider for any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.